We are so glad that you have joined us here at the island. During this episode, we will sit down with our brand new friends from Tucson, Arizona to have a candid conversation. And because of COVID, of course, we are doing this virtually. So please excuse the glitches. Sit back and be blessed. loving and gracious God, you are so marvelous and magnificent. And I just praise you for this time to come together with my sisters in Christ. Lord God, we are created in your image and you alone are worthy of our thanks and praise. Father, I just pray that as we come together, six sisters, that you would just use us for your good and for your glory. We pray for the hope that is only found in you, for this world, for our country. Oh, Father, there is such turmoil, but we trust in you. We love you as your daughters. You are our creator. And all that we say and do, oh God, may it be honoring and glorifying to you. Protect us, Father, from any distraction throughout this recording, Lord. We just pray that you would fill our hearts with your love for one another. And may the world be bridged in the hope that we start today, Lord. Yes. We thank you and we praise you in your son's most precious and saving name, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right. Welcome back to Kitchen Island Tea. I am Vanita. Cheryl. DJ. All right, ladies. We are back and we are all healthy and safe, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, guess what? Summer is here and Texas is already... H-O-T, hot, hotter than hot. Um, divas, we have a very important episode today, and we are not going to delay. We are going to get right to it. Um, today, our very special guests are from Tucson, Arizona, where it gets hotter than Hades there. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And we have with us today, we have Karen, we have another Cheryl at the island today, and we have Susie. And for all of our listeners, the common denominator among the six of us is myself and Susie. We met um, over 25 years ago when I lived in Arizona. We were both youth directors for our churches and worked together bringing our youth groups together for numerous camping trips in the mountains of Arizona to going on mission trips to Indian reservations. And even though we have never lived in the same city, y'all, never in the same city, we have kept our friendship, and mm -hmm. when we visit each other, it's like on the phone or in person, it's like <laughs> right where we left off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's so awesome. So, <laughs> it but recently, we had a very, very important talk on the phone that has mm -hmm. resulted in Susie bringing her friends to the island today. Welcome. Yes. Welcome. So thank you. you. Yes. So thank ladies, you. before we get started, I just <laughs> want to say that we are all 
on the same team. Okay. Amen. The Amen. team of right. The Amen. team of good. Amen. The team of fairness. The mm. team of compassion. Mm. The team of love and the team of hope. Amen. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Aaron and, and Cheryl. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just have this question for you ladies. I thank you all for, for your time today. But what prompted you to have this dialogue with us today? I'm going to start just because um, after I, this is Susie, um, after I listened to Kitchen Tea's podcast on what's going on, I actually listened to it on June 2nd. I literally was in tears and I might cry today. So, <laughs> so I, <laughs> um, so I called Benita and, and she can vouch for this. I could barely start the conversation. I was just really emotional. And um, I asked her, I said, are you and your family, are you guys okay? And of course, uh, she shared that everybody was struggling. And, and we talked a little bit about her kids and, and her godson. And, and I, then I just shared with her how that podcast truly overwhelmed me. Um, and I, I wasn't sure what to do with all that. But what I did do after I got done talking with Vanita is I decided to share that podcast with my Emmaus Accountability Sisters, which is Karen and Cheryl. We've been together now for, oh, gosh, a long time. A long time. <laughs> and, yeah, probably 20 years. Um, and the three of us then had a two-hour conversation just about this one podcast, um, What's Going On? And we really felt the Lord, um, um, we heard your message and um, okay. we just decided that um, we needed to come into this conversation with our African sisters in Christ as a way to put feet to our prayers. So that's kind of um, why I'm here today is to put feet to my prayers. Awesome. Well, I want our listeners to know that at the Kitchen Island Tea, the, the three ladies that are in uh, Arizona are three white American females, and the three ladies here in Texas are three African American females. But we do have a common denominator, denominator and that we are uh, Christians and we are children of God. Amen. 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 May, may I just, <laughs> this is Karen, may I just add that when we were having our discussion, well, before that, when I listened to the podcast, I got one of those Holy Spirit nudgings. And you all know, being, being of Christ, what that means when you get a Holy Spirit nudging. Yes. And yes. As, as, as Cheryl and Susie can attest, I've had to repent on more occasions for not answering the one of those nudges <laughs> and it, it was just it was just so strong that during our conversation I told the two of them that we just need to talk to these ladies we need to start a conversation we need to start a dialogue as Christ is our center and Yes. get involved in the discussion and and one of the things that really stood out to me is that the Christian community has not done enough 
And I, that just said, where are we falling short in the glory of God that our Christian s- sisters think we're not doing what, what God is calling us to do? So that's kind of the basis. This is an answer to my nudge from the Holy Spirit to get into the dialogue, to listen and to learn. Wow. That was powerful. Thank you. Yes. And, you know, and you saying that, <laughs> that is part of um, the, the Island Tea. That's part of our goal is to reach people and, and to help people think and to jar their... Um, what God is telling them to do, to, to give them right. that nudge um, so that people, you know, sometimes you, you're not thinking, you got all these different things going on in the world and just sometimes listening to a podcast, just a simple podcast can, can get your mind going and, and get your juices flowing and also help you to, to listen to what God may be telling you. So that is, uh, I'm glad to hear that and to hear you say that about the podcast. Because that means we're kind of doing our job. Yeah. You're, mm. <laughs> you're, you're fulfilling yes. your goal. Okay. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> okay. So do you ladies have some questions for us? Can we, can we let Cheryl answer why she wanted to come to the dialogue today? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yes, this is Cheryl Smith. And... Um, I have just heard Susie refer to Vanita uh, since they were both youth directors in their churches, as Vanita said. And uh, Susie has always considered Vanita to be such a good friend. I've yeah, heard I'm stories. Scared. I'm and, scared. Uh, <laughs> They're all good. <laughs> well, when uh, Susie first introduced us to your podcast, I was just struck by your honesty and your concern, your desire to find an answer to today's, um, uh, the strife that's going on, and to be peacemakers. And you just seemed like you were such good friends, and Okay. <laughs> I like that. You were making me nervous for a minute. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't be nervous. They're jealous, Benita. They're just jealous. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, there's enough of me oh. to, to spread around. <laughs> question that you want to start us out with? Oh, absolutely. I really do. So um, I was just, you know, as we were thinking about what we wanted to to ask you ladies about, one of the things that as white uh, women, um, you know, and as Bible-based women, really, it's more about being Bible-based than color, is that we struggle with that word racism in that God created one race. We're all human. Right. But we're made up of different ethnicities. Exactly. Mm -hmm. 
And so as I be, you know, as we began watching um, more of the news and reading articles and listening to the Kitchen of NT podcast, we just need your help in understanding that term systemic racism. Well, Susan, this is BJ. And Hi, BJ. Take a stab explaining what systemic racism <laughs> is to us. Um, it's something that people of color experience each and every day. And when I say each and every day, I mean that it's something that occurs continuously and then it's over and over. So we experience things over and over, year after year after year. And I guess I should give you some examples. It's prejudice, it's discrimination, it's antagonism against another person. And you mentioned that we're Bible-based. And so the Bible says that we're to treat each other the right way or the way God has said, but then we're often antagonistic against others. And so that's systemic racism. And I'll, make, I'll try to define it even further. It's in the total structure of our society. It's not racial only. It's economic, mm -hmm. it's through healthcare, right. it's through opportunities, or maybe I should say through the lack of opportunities for minorities. It's through real estate, it's through education. And I know you're probably saying, okay, what do all those things have to do with systemic racism? So I'll give you an example. I think and I may be talking too long, but- No, you're never talking I too long. I wanna share- <laughs> No, 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 this is helpful. So if I tell you when I was in school, and I'm old, uh, I used to think that other people were writing to me because there was writing in the books that we received. But the actual truth of the matter is that the schools on the other side of town that serves the white students received new books. And so we got their books after them, even though my mother had paid taxes time as those parents oh my of gosh. children on the other side of town. This wow. on forever. Mm -hmm. uh, so then, you thought that people, somebody was writing to you, but that was another student <laughs> across town that was taking notes in that book. Exactly. Ah. But it was, oh my gosh. So naive as a child. Oh. I was like, oh, somebody sending me a note. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't. It was an old book mm -hmm. because wow. they were getting the new books and we were getting the old books. Wow. But we paid tax yeah. at the same time. Wow. Uh, if you think about real estate and you think about the word redlining, for realtors to decide that we're going to funnel all the minority people to one section of the neighborhood. And all oh you God. see is that we're buying a house in your neighborhood, but you're not saying that one, your interest rate is 7% or 2%, but the minority's interest rate for that same house in that same neighborhood is 10% yes. or 14%. And they can have wow. a FICA score or even higher FICA score than our counterparts and we still get the higher interest rate. Oh my gosh. So yes. just imagine this going oh, on geez. way before any of us were born, but this is what was happening. And so when I say systemic racism, that's against a group of people over and over and over and over. 
Wow. BJ, that description is so helpful. I really, truly had not realized that because, and I'll, and I'll share one of the reasons why I would have never have thought about that just because, and and I'll use the school example because I'm not familiar with real estate and all of that, but the black children in my hometown we started, I mean, we went to school with them. I can remember second and third grade and above. I mean, we, the kids that we went to school with in second and third grade, we graduated with. So we all had the same books, but that is a real eye opener. I had no idea that the, the schools in the white neighborhoods handed down books into the black neighborhoods. I had no idea. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. The other thing is they um, really kind of cut out the history of Americans in the history books. So that's a huge portion of it, because if you understood the contributions that African-Americans made to the country, then, Mm -hmm. um, you know, people would understand that African-Americans made contributions to the country. uh, Oh, absolutely. Treat African-Americans better. I actually went to an HBCU and that's when I first had my first African-American history class. And I was in what, 19 years old? Cheryl, explain what HBCU is. Oh, that's HBCU is a historical black college or university. In my case, it was Gramlin State University. And that was one of the things that they made us do is that was to take a black history course because they understood that we were not getting it in school. And to give wow. you an example, um, when I was probably in the second or third grade, this is this is what's hard for us because we don't have history to say my family came from Ireland or my family came from um, London or my foreparents came, forefathers came from whatever country. We were cut off from that information. So in the second wow. third grade, they asked us a question. We had to go around individually. They said, what country did your four parents come from? And everybody was saying, you know, the different places, Ireland, London. And, and, and I, when it got to me, I said America. And everybody in the class started laughing. Well, at that moment in time, I didn't know that we had been slaves. I didn't learn about the slavery piece of how we came over until I was in middle school because of the movie Roots. And the movie Roots finally shined a light on, oh, this is how Black people got to this country and we all came over from Africa. Uh, So I think by cutting out Black history, they literally said that you don't matter. Right. (laughs) Your history doesn't matter. So that's a piece of it that that they're trying to now rectify. But look how many years it's taking to finally put uh, Black history, not only just Martin Luther King, but mm-hmm. all of Black history into the history books. Oh, right. wow. I am so sorry. Right. That is horrible. Yes. So with that, I'm going to say the time is always right to do what is right. And we are going to take a break. And we are back at the island. And I think, Karen, you are up next. You had a question? Well, yes. Thank you very much. Um, So the Bible teaches us that God is in in control of all things. 
Uh, not that he causes all things, but he is in control of all things. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for what purpose do you all think God allows these horrible and unjust acts of violence against different ethnic groups? And I'll ask Cheryl to, to start us, Cheryl T to start us off if, if you don't <laughs> <Okay>. mind. <laughs> Okay. That question is so profound, Karen, and, and I and I took some time to think about it. Um, I even ran it by my husband, who teaches on the Bible on a reg regular basis. Been teaching uh, the Word since he was twelve years old. <laughs> oh, so he loves teaching the Word, but he he summed it up in one word, and and this is going to take you back: is grace. It's like, why would it be grace? That one word. And the reason why we say grace is because we are no longer under the dispensation of the law. If God would punish us immediately for what we have done, none of us would be here. But now that we're under the dispensation of grace, he's giving people the opportunity to seek forgiveness and ask for forgiveness. Now, understand, we're in a fallen world. This world was fallen since Adam and Eve. And this world is, is, is not our home. This is a fallen world and there's evil in this world. And I'm going to read 1 John 5 and 19. It says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Mm. So there's evil out there. Yeah. And because of God's grace, he is not punishing us for what immediately for what we do, he's given us the opportunity to reconcile back to him, of course, through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, because it's evil in the world, that's why this is happening. Wow. God's not, he's not ignorant to what's happening. Right. He's not making people do these things, but that's evil that's in the world that's causing these things to happen. But here's the rub. Do not be deceived, for God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, so shall he reap. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yes. Yes. Amen. Wow. Could I add? Wow. Of course you can add something. Um, I also thought about what would God allow? Why would he allow these horrible things to happen Uh but it also allows us to show the good. Mm -hmm. um, these are horrible, atrocious things that have happened, especially the murders. Oh, amen. But look at how God wow. has nudged yeah. you three ladies and people all over the world to stand up for what's right, which mm -hmm. is his commandment. Mm -hmm. And then God has allowed us to be awakened because we've endured so long that some things just become like you just go along with you're, it. Yeah. You're numb to yeah, it. You're I was thinking about that it. yesterday that I, I've become numb to things, yes. certain things. And you just, it's like a, a, a way of life, right. everyday living. But these incidents and these atrocities woke us up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's just, I don't know, but it, it kind of filled me up that. So the, the word that's coming to me is what the enemy meant for evil. God is going to yes. use it for good. Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. You know, I'm wondering. Oh, 
I'm wondering in this time of COVID, you know, I was in Virginia when this, all of this shutdown started happening. And I looked at my mom and I said, mom, what do you think is going on here? And we, at the same time, we both said, it's almost like God is causing the world to stop yep. and pause yep. and, and take a good look. Yes. I agree. Mm-hmm. I think we've all, at least us at the island, have kind of said that. I kept hearing, mm-hmm. be still and know that I am God. It's like mm-hmm. he's hit that button and yes. he's yes. still <laughs> trying to go back to what we would normally do. And he's trying to say the norm is not what I had planned for y'all. Mm-hmm. You have made, you all have made this world yeah. so complicated and so uh, out of control. I just need y'all to sit down for a minute, just relax. Because you got to <laughs> remember, you it's 8 billion people. It's like 4 billion people were sheltered in place all at one time worldwide. That was could only be God allowing that to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And something funny, you all. Uh, we've been sheltered in place, and I've been telling friends, "Have you ever been to church so much?" Get <laughs> <laughs> up on Sunday morning and during the week, and we're zooming for a church service at our friends in St. Louis. We're zooming the church service at eight. 10, 11. So sometimes on Sunday, I go to church three times. (laughs) (laughs) That is so true. My, you know, my sister and I were just talking about that this morning. I came from a little country church in Virginia and there are more people watching that pastor in these times than has ever stepped foot inside that church. Yes. Praise God. Praise the Lord. The numbers are up on like Wednesday night prayer meeting and Wednesday night Bible study, mm-hmm. you know, going via Zoom, mm-hmm. virtual. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have to sit down and be still mm-hmm. and tune in. Mm-hmm. Basically, mm-hmm. God is like, listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yes. Wow. Well, that's- and and that's where my nudging comes in. That's exactly, you know, the Holy Spirit has been speaking volumes during this time. And one of the listening to um, sermons on Psalms and, you know, it just brought me one day that is it isn't God bringing us to our knees, all Christians to our knees to join the fight for justice wherever Mm -hmm. injustice is, you know, wherever Mm -hmm. we see it. And to whomever we see it happening and mm-hmm. just going to our knees and crying out like David did when he was in the cave. How long, Lord? How long? That's mm-hmm. my question. How long until we finally get this on the right track until we're following your path and not the path of this evil world? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I believe it's a time of uh, what the Bible says to examine yourself. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. I think individually God has just, you know, placed us quietly, you know, on our little individual island so that we can do just that, spend some time with him and examine ourselves to see if we truly are of him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no more phoniness, no more faking, no more hiding behind the cross. Uh, it's wow. time to put that flesh on the cross. Um, so I believe he's, he's wanting us to be still and truly examine ourselves because 
One thing I truly believe in my heart of hearts, if the body of Christ would truly stand up and be as who God called us to be, a lot of this would not be happening. Because we are the salt of the earth. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. We're the ones that have to help set the standard uh, when it comes to, to what's happening here on the earth. I just believe if we stood up and actually be who God called us to be, to be true Christians, you know, and, and we all have to look at ourselves individually to exactly. see where we are. Exactly. I can't tell you what your issue is. You can't tell me what my issue is. Exactly. God knows us to the depth <laughs> because he looks on the heart of man. And I can't look on your heart. Only God can look on your heart. And I believe if, if we have the mind of Christ and the heart of God, then a, this would turn around. Amen to that. Yeah. Amen. Yes. Yes. Um, I I have a question. Um, listening to everyone, and um, my question is, and I'll I'll direct this to Susie. Um, do you believe there is white privilege? Well, Vanita, you know me, and I have to say, to be honest, I had no idea what white privilege even referred to or meant until this week. Wow. You know, when I, yeah, yeah, yeah. because I, I guess I live in my own little world, you know. Um, but when I heard it used on the news in recent weeks, I thought, the first thought I had was, well, there are people of privilege in every ethnic group. So I, I really didn't get it, obviously. But then as I began to research what this term means to the world, not to me, but what does it mean to the world? I kid you not, and I'll probably start right now, is that tears literally streamed down my face. And I thought, is this true, Lord? Is this what you see in me? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Is, is this the way the world views me just because my skin is white? I, I was really in tears, but for the good, I needed that moment with the Lord. Um, and it took me a few minutes just to kind of gather myself. And um, then my brain just went into overdrive. And so when that happened, I, I'm truly like a bull in a china closet. You can ask my husband. Um, mm -hmm. but I yeah. just, you know, I just started reading articles and listening to podcasts and just anything Well, just watching the news. I mean, I'm one of those people that it, all, sometimes all I hear in news is anger and the voices and the tones really turn me off to listening. So I, I normally, you know, I normally listen to local news cause I want to know what's going on immediately around me and I'll watch one world news show. Um, but that's, you know, for a long time, I just, my, my spirit really couldn't handle all the ugly. And so I just didn't, I just, you know, I prayed and I let God take care of all that. But I have to say that um, as I started to look at this and, and to try to understand and comprehend what the world was saying, I came across and, and it was shared with me, um, Emmanuel, and I pray that I don't butcher his last name is it Acho Emmanuel Acho he has a podcast called uncomfortable conversations with a black man mm -hmm. 
Uh-huh. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually listened to his first episode three times, and I've listened to every episode since. But yes, on, I... yeah. On the third time that I listened to it, it took me over an hour. Now it's less than a ten-minute podcast. But <laughs> what I did, I wanted, to, I wanted to get every word he had to say down on paper because I have to see it. I don't. I just can't learn from hearing. I have to see it. And so I spent over an hour on that less than 10 minute podcast, writing every word down that he said and what he said about white privilege is this. He said, white privilege is having a head start due to hundreds and hundreds of years of systematic and systemic racism. It's having to start intrinsically no, it's having a head start intrinsically built into your life. It's yeah. not mm-hmm. It's not saying your life hasn't been hard, but what it's saying is that your skin color hasn't contributed to the difficulty of your life. Mm-hmm. And I really t- spent a lot of time thinking about that. Um, and I was trying, uh, so, you know, Benita, you and I have been friends for 20, almost 25 years and I kept, you know, thinking about our times together. Okay, Susie, where did you see that when you were with Benita? And I came, I, I, there's a couple of times, but the one time that um, it, it really, you and I, and we mm-hmm. talked about it afterwards, was um, the, the incident when you and I went to a village inn in Denny's. And I have to say, I believe it was in, in Antonio because I had come out to spend a long weekend with you. Do you remember that? It's been quite a few yeah. years. Um, yeah. And we went to the, the, whatever restaurant it was, and we ordered the exact same breakfast. It was one of them skillet breakfasts. But, yes. But we ordered the exact same thing. And when the waitress came, she brought one plate. And she set it down in front of me. And then she said, I'll be back. And I'm like, okay, that's odd. She has two hands. She could have brought two. Um, but I do remember that by the time I brought that second plate of the exact same meal, the meal she had put in front of me had gotten cold. But I wasn't going to eat without you. I remember that. And I tried, I said, get your fork. Let's try to do this together, you know, waiting. But, but I, I, see that now I mean I think that is exactly what the world is saying white privilege is um so yeah so I actually have experienced that without even without knowing that that was the term I think the thing that I get you know it was definitely an injustice um but I didn't know that that's what white privilege meant um you know and as I was just thinking about our relationship and you know how God brought you and I together and um you know privilege just wasn't a word that I felt between us and so I went to the scriptures and I and I looked in several concordance for the word privilege because I wanted to know what God had to say about privilege and I I honestly I found two examples of the word or two places in the Bible where the word privilege was used. The first one was in second uh, Corinthians eight, four, when Paul was speaking to his Christian brothers um, about the Macedonian churches um, who had a desire to give of their tithes and offerings to the church in Jerusalem. And he considered that a privilege. 
Mm-hmm. And then the second time that it was found was in Philippians 1, 29. And it says, for it has been, it had been granted to you the privilege on behalf of Christ, not mm-hmm. only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. So what was amazing to me was that from God's point of view, there's only two instances of privilege that we as Christians should you know, be in, and that is to give to the service of Christ and to suffer mm-hmm. for his name. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, the other thing I have this Bible that said um, it gave it, uh, it had like teachings and illustrations of Christ. And so I went through and I counted them. There are 369 teachings and illustrations of Christ in the Bible, um, but not one of Christ's teachings uh, and illustrations dealt with privilege Mm. and I'm like that just gave me such a huge pause wow because it was like God God's view of privilege over the world's view of privilege and I I I I just yeah I'm kind of like for quite a while after just considering what white privilege was, what the world says about it, what God says about it. And it really gave me a totally different perspective on how I need to be aware when I'm out in public and I'm interacting with other people, no matter who they are or what color their skin is, um, because I want to be in God's view of privilege. Yeah. And, you know, Susie, with you saying that and I'm, I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying and there's when you're saying about the world and privilege, a lot of people, white people don't feel that not that they don't know about privilege, but they don't feel like they have privilege because they don't have wealth. They don't have money. So they're like, I, I'm not privileged. I, I'm poor. I grew up, you know, in mm-hmm. a poor neighborhood or I lived in a trailer park or whatever it is. But yeah not the privilege that we're we're talking about right we're talking about you're already starting behind because of your skin color Mm -hmm. and so with you being white you already have that privilege of getting a head start no matter what the race is right does that make sense it does and that i i get it i you know i can totally believe you know i do believe this is how white privilege is viewed yeah yeah so i'm i'm learning we it's all it's it's a give and take it's all yeah it really is yeah yeah it takes me back to uh the real estate idea uh white privilege comes in when you and i could go into the bank with the same income and the same references but I might not, or most likely, I would not get the loan, but you would Uh if you asked for a loan. So you can only surmise that what would be that reason? We got the same salary, Mm -hmm. same, we got references, you have three, I have three. Yeah. But I don't get the loan, and you do. Yeah. And if you do get the loan, your interest rates and you still start out behind. Wow. You know? Yeah. Wow. I'm out. And another thing that's happening in corporate America, 
they have a lot of diversity programs and and when they say diversity um it's usually they will put a a woman uh, a white woman in the place and you know to be able to check the box of diversity before they would do someone of color or, or another ethnicity group ethnic group um and and that's happening all throughout corporate america even uh, when you try and go and get, um, you have, you own a company and you want to get, um, be a contractor for the government because the government has to do so much, a certain percentage of their business with minority owned businesses and they call it women owned and minority owned businesses. Mm-hmm. A lot of the um, white males will then put their company in their wives' names in order to get that portion of the minority owned business through the government uh, and which still once again cuts us out uh, so that's been happening over the years systemic systemically happening over the years and now just recently um, I have a, a family member that works uh, in the small business association here in San Antonio and he had to go to a gentleman's house to of course talk with him about um, getting a minority contract from the government and, you know, to verify who he was, who he said he was. Well, he had done like a, a, a 23andMe mm-hmm. uh, genetic DNA sample test. Yeah, Otis and I did that also. <laughs> and he had like 0. .0001 African in him. <laughs> Full Caucasian male. <laughs> and he signed up as a minority in order to get the contract. So that kind of stuff is what's happening to us. Every time we get some kind of way to get um, a little bit of step up, a little bit of push forward, there's always some loopholes that will just snatch it from us. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we're constantly trying to catch up after being behind 400 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a never ending race, yeah. actually. Yeah. Where you're just always behind and you know, trying to catch up. But I still believe God is the equalizer. Oh, he is. Yeah, yeah, I love, he is. I love yes. that, <clears throat> Yeah, the equalizer. I, I he is the equalizer. Not Denzel, but no. no. <laughs> By the way, that's a movie that Denzel stars in called, called The Equalizer. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um. well, I I um, have another question, and it's in the same vein of the question about white privilege and what you think about that. So that brings me to something that I experienced, and it's affirmative action. You know, those are the policies and procedures uh, that were put in place to prevent discrimination, I guess you'd say. But I'd like to know, uh, Karen, what do you think affirmative action is to you? And is it still needed? Is it something we still need? Well, I had to go, you know, I have a textbook definition of it, but you've just kind of capsulized that. and I'm going to run with that. Okay. I think, BJ, that um, you and I, I believe, are just about the same age. So I came of age uh, where I began my working career in 1965. And we're, a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're very close. Yeah. So I. I'm old enough to remember when President Kennedy first um, brought up the term 
action. And the way uh, President Johnson tried to actually or did actually move it from be, being a try to do this to being one where we actually take definite active action to, and I hate to say this, put, put standards in where we're actually lifting minorities in the hiring practice to say, if this person is qualified and can do the job because they are of a minority, they get an extra point, if you will. And I'm, I'm, I was all along with that. So I, I don't know if that answers your question, but it was an, it's an assistance. It's helping someone who has been shut out to get into and promoted within the job market in the workforce. Mm -hmm. um, here was the deal, <clears throat> excuse me. Here was the deal that I find that, that there's a fault in it because in my experience, they would hire a minority African-American because some supervisor or some manager was going to be evaluated on how well his department was diversified. Mm, okay, yes. yeah. And they would hire somebody and say, okay, the job's yours, here it is, do it. Mm -hmm. And that was it. And the person basically didn't have anybody to come alongside and do the mentoring and do the training to make them successful. So it was on the job training. Or it yourself. Well, no, you, you got hired, so you were expected to know what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and have the knowledge to do it, and so be it. If you fail, you fail. Right, yes. right. And, and to me, that's not affirmative action. Yes. Right. Yes. Affirmative action takes somebody with the potential, with the knowledge, with the capability, put them into a position, give them a mentor, and any on-the-job training they may need because your goal is to fully succeed when they succeed. Exactly. exactly. I say Karen for president. Yeah. Karen. <laughs> I'll vote for you. <laughs> so, so what happened, I had, I had black co-workers who were hired because they were black they found themselves in this position and what suffered was their reputation mm. because if they failed, they got labeled. Mm. They got labeled as a bad employee and, and nobody would recommend them uh, for any awful. further advancement. Wow. And in essence, what they did, instead of giving them tr the training so that they could do the, do the job, they hired a support contractor to do the job for them. Now, mm -hmm. how is that helpful? I well, just... it's helpful from the privileged side 
because then to the eyes of the world, we've done our duty. We've hired a minority. Right. But you're still hurting the minority because you're not giving them the tools or the resources to be successful, just like you said. So it's still a double-edged sword sword for minorities. The thing that people forget is when you helped me to get this job, one, I did have the qualifications or the potential to learn and the skills to learn, but you didn't help me by letting me know all the inside track, all the things that you know specific to that job. So you threw me in the fire without the tools to put the fire out. Correct. That makes it hard. Uh, On the one hand, the world, you're showing the world that you've helped us. But on the other hand, you're still pushing me down. And people forget that I still have to do the job to keep the job, to keep my good name and to prove myself. Mm -hmm. And we won't even get into how much we as African-Americans and minorities have to prove ourselves. Mm -hmm. I've been in corporate America and... I'd have to do two times as much as my white male counterpart, right. not even female, to even stay in the running, right. to stay in that job. That is yeah. So imagine the stress, the anxiety, but then being faith-based and Christian-based, you always know the Lord is with you and you can do anything as long as you take him with you. Amen. 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 But Karen, that that was perfect. You gave the perfect example. Yes, thank you, Karen. Well, thank you for for boosting me up that I'm not totally in left field. Karen (laughs) for president. (laughs) So I want to say injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Mm. And we're taking a break. Thank you for spending time with us at the island and our new friends, Susie, Karen, and Cheryl. Come back next week for part two. You don't want to miss it. Hey, before you press that stop button, don't forget, we'd love to hear from you. KitchenIslandTea at gmail.com. See you next time.